At the end of the day, it's like if he ever came back and wanted to shoot up heroin, there was nothing I could do to stop that. Mary Rose Feely gained TikTok notoriety as she shared her relationship with her brother Ian, who suffers from opioid use disorder, through a series of raw videos. One time he walked into my bedroom and like he was just, just passed out against the wall. Mary Rose's efforts to get Ian off of substances and into recovery are shown in a gritty, brute documentary that followed Ian and Mary Rose for 21 days while he suffered through withdrawals and cravings. Oh, Mary Rose, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Grieving Out Loud. I am so fascinated by your story and your efforts to really save your brother's life. I want to just welcome you to the podcast. Hi. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that because I, I honestly feel like that's exactly what I did too. And it's it, the opioid crisis is really affecting so many lives, as you know, and I Every step along the way, I really just reminded myself, like, Mary, like, you're, you're lucky, like, you know, like, you're blessed. And I think that was something that really helped me get put a lot of emotions behind and really focus on the core with helping him. After having lost someone to fentanyl poisoning, you know, I always think as long as someone who is suffering from substance use disorder is still alive, there is yeah. hope. You know, there's hope. Yeah. And no matter how bad it seems, there is hope, but once you lose them, of course there isn't. And, and so I think really in part, especially because of you, your brother is alive today, Ian. And how old is Ian now? Ian is 28 years old now. And he's a couple years older than you. Yeah. He's um, I'm 26 years old. Tell me about growing up in your home. Were you guys close when you were kids or what was that like? Yeah, me and him, we were close when we were kids and growing up, honestly, a lot of it, a lot of it, I don't really remember. We we actually grew up in like a very toxic household and I don't, I don't remember much of our childhood, but Ian did get in a longboarding accident when he was in middle school and that just completely changed the trajectory of our relationship. So middle school. So he got into an accident. I was I in eighth grade going into freshman year. And so he would have been in high school. Yes. Yeah. And was, so was Ian prescribed summer. opioids at that time? So he was in the hospital for about, he was forced into a coma. So he had traumatic brain injury right here. And I like remember walking into the hospital room and he just had tubes shoved down his throat and he was just lying on the hospital bed, choking up blood and not, not waking up, not being responsive. And the doctors told us like, Hey, your brother, he's not going to be able to walk. He's not going to be able to talk. He's not going to know who you are. And so that was something going on in the midst of our parents were going through a divorce and we lost their house. So while Ian was, yeah, so while Ian was going through all of that, there was a lot going on behind the scenes when he was in the hospital for those six months. And when he was out of the hospital. So much trauma. So I guess the opioid started when um, he had the IV in his arm, you know what I mean? Because he did have traumatic brain injury. Like I'm not going to, Soften that. Like he, he was in a lot of, he was in a lot of pain, but once he got out, it just, it just spiraled out of control. And so he would have been, and how old when he got out of the hospital? Do you know? 16. Oh, wow. So young. Yeah. Yeah, Very young. young. And so you're a couple years behind him and then he's, he kind of goes down a spiral and and I suppose you didn't really understand it at that age. How did that affect you? Oh, at that age. 
I didn't under he would wake uh, I remember when we did like for a little bit we did live together because we did get separated while we did live together like I remember looking at him and him just like being really different like he was not the same he didn't he had a similar personality but it wasn't the same personality he didn't remember things as well and honestly he started hanging around me a lot more a little bit but I didn't really understand that like he would wake up like in the middle of the night screaming in pain or like every morning he would be screaming in pain and like not wanting to go to school and I didn't understand that part of it you know what I mean like I didn't get it at that age looking back now you know like I understand like he had traumatic brain injury he was in a lot of pain but at that age I, I really didn't get it and I didn't get why he was taking all these pills one time he walked into my bedroom and like he was just just passed out against the wall and yeah when I was 14 and he was 16 I just I didn't really get it but he was also at that time, you know, that's when like they start drinking and that's when that also gets introduced. So he was dealing with the brain injury, the drugs and growing into a different human. Sounds to me like he didn't really stand a chance when it came to addiction. Yeah, yeah, he definitely got set up. And so you don't suffer from substance use disorder, do you at all? I was. I was prescribed Vivance and Adderall. So I was taking that for oh. about eight years. Yeah. So I went up to Vermont to get completely sober off of that. Like I was just fed up with taking it and I didn't want to be prescribed to it anymore. And he knew I was going up to Vermont to do that. He knew like I wanted to get off this medication and like I just wanted to cold turkey it. During, so I got prescribed to the Vivance and Adderall because during that time, like around 14, 15, when I turned 16, I got a severe eating disorder. I was bulimic. So during my bulimia, they prescribed me Vivance for ADHD and binge eating disorder. So that's how I kind of got on that bandwagon and I never got off of it. So throughout all college and everything like that, they just kept upping my dose and just, it got to the point where like I, I just kept every single pill bottle. And like I invited Ian over a little bit during COVID and while he was visiting, we just talked about it. And like, you know, I had a whole drawer full of pill bottles. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, I was just like, I'm trapped in this job. I'm trapped in this lifestyle. You know, I'm living on my own. I'm not talking to anybody. And he was just, he was still using a little bit at the time, not heavy. But I remember talking to him on the phone once and he was, yo, Mary, how do you expect me to stop doing heroin if you can't stop taking Adderall and Vivance? And then right when he said that, I planned my escape out of New Jersey. I was like, it took me about three months to pack up all my things. I gave away all my clothes. I lived in like a fully furnished house. I gave up my bedroom, my bedroom furniture, the kitchen furniture, the living room stuff. And I just, I'm going to go up to Vermont and just focus on me. And that's what I did. And then I was up there alone for about three months, four months. And the only, I got a new phone too. I didn't talk to anybody. And the only person I, I talked to, I talked to my brother twice while I was up there. And during both times, he really walked me through some really dark things that I was dealing with. You know, like I didn't really think about how much a withdrawal from Vyvanse or Adderall would be. And there's no studies really done on it. So I was just kind of doing it alone. And it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with. I felt like my whole body changed, my whole mindset changed. And I was working full time at the time, too. And he was the only person I talked to. And then give it four months, he called me and was married. Like, I need you to come and get me. 
He's like, I need you to come and get me. I'm not going to make it this time. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And his friend just passed away. So that's why he called me. And then the next few days, I just drove down and picked him up. And so at this time, you had stopped the Adderall and the ADHD medications. You go to get your brother and he's been using both meth and heroin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how bad was it? I was terrible. It was terrible. It was him. He was, oh my God. He, I really, while I was up there, I 100% give so much credit to who I became when I was up there because I meditated a lot. I journaled a lot. I only ate vegan. So when he came up there, I was really able to not be emotional towards him. Like I was really able to separate all emotions from him and look at him as just somebody going through addiction and not knowing how to get out because he was mean. <laughs> He was aggressive. He was angry. He was shaking. I'm pretty, he brought needles up there with him. Like he, he brought others, like he was very difficult to deal with. Like, I don't know if they showed on the documentary, but there was this one time when we went to the food store and he stole a bunch, he got a bunch of hand sanitizer. And when we got back to the cabin, he put the hand sanitizer and orange juice to drink it because I wouldn't buy him alcohol. So that's how he made alcohol because I wouldn't buy him any. Wow. And so he was rough. What made you document it all? How did you decide to do that? So I understood pretty quickly that I wasn't really going to be able to help Ian the way he deserved to be helped. I really got that I wasn't, I wouldn't be able to help Ian the way he deserved to be helped. And like, I wouldn't have been able to relate to him. You know what I mean? Like he, he was somebody who's been an 11 year heroin addict on the streets, like in Kensington, PA, 15 of his friends died this year. Like he's been in and out of psych wards, in and out of rehabs for like the last 11 years of his life. He was fully an institutionalized human being. And like, I'm his younger sister. You know what I mean? Like he's going to look at me as his younger sister or he's going to look at me as, but I wanted him to look at me as an equal. Like I'm not your younger sister. I'm just somebody here next to you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what you need to do to, you know, I, I let him drink the hand sanitizer. You know what I mean? I didn't comment on it. I was like, I'm going to let you do what you need to do. I'm not going to engage or pay for any of it, but I will help you along the way. Like, you know, like I'll be here to make sure that we're okay. And so the documentation of it was a result of that. Uh, the doc, Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, so TikTok algorithm is really good with making people connect with one another. So I figured if I could document his process, I could find him some friends online so he wouldn't feel like oh. so lonely with me. Yeah. I see. And so how did the documentary come about? How did they happen to, to film, a, you know, using some of your video and their video? How did they do that? They reached, they reached, so Brute Media reached out to me while I was in Vermont and was like, I see that you're documenting your brother's oh. sobriety. Yeah. They were like, um, can we come out and record you for a week? And during that time, um, Ian was, I'm, I'm really grateful that they came. So during that time, like I just got some cats for us too, but Ian was like kind of up and down with everything. Like he, he started going back into his old habits and walking back into town and not doing like too many, you could tell, you know what I mean? Like you could just tell. And they came a few days after that. And I feel like it kind of got him back on track of having a purpose. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really and happy. Maybe some, uh, maybe some accountability too yeah yeah and it and also gave like a new person in the scene too it wasn't just me and him in like the middle of the woods it was me him and like a friendly person 
where did it, was there ever a time where it got really scary for you? You're, you're watching him withdraw. He's trying to stay off of at least heroin and meth. Right. And was there ever a time where it got really frightening? Um, yeah, there was a few times it got really frightening. Uh, one time during, during this process, one of the times it got frightening was he came back really like angry and in bad mood one day. And that was, at the end of the day, it's like if he ever came back and wanted to shoot up heroin, there was nothing I could do to stop that. You know what I mean? Or there would be nothing I could do if he wanted to go into the woods and shoot up heroin. Like there, there's only so much you could do. So it's, it was really just those two times. But um, a few months later, Ian relapsed. So give it a few months. I, we went back up to Vermont for him to do, for, uh, he wanted to come with me to detox. And while we were up there, he was seizuring all night. So for like two nights in a row, he was just absolutely seizuring. And then Vermont, like near hospitals, like 45 minutes, an hour away. And it was, I don't even, it was scary. It was just like, I don't know what to do. Like you're seizuring, like you're repetitive. Like I didn't even sleep. And so is Ian in recovery today? Yeah. And um, he went to jail and now he's in drug court. So he's completely clean. Wow. How long has he, how many days of sobriety or months or weeks or how, so, how long has he been? His clean date is December 14th, 2021. Awesome. That's fantastic. And do you think that he'll be able from everything you've been through with him? I mean, you've been such a support to him. Do you think he'll be able to maintain that sobriety? Will drug court help him with that? Do you think, or, or I mean, yeah, I know he's been I, through so many things. It's, it's hard to know. Yeah, I do think he's going to be able to maintain his sobriety. I think he's beginning to learn more about himself and really love himself and see a lot of, a lot of new opportunities opening up for him. You were there by his side through so much of this. You, you sort of came back into his life, right? Because you talked about how he'd been in and out of institutions and been using for so long. I mean, there had been a gap when you hadn't been there. Yeah, there there has been a few gaps of when I haven't been there, but I was the one who brought most of his clothes to the institutions or like, you know, oh. visit him at them or talk to him on the phone at them, things like that. Yeah, but those institutions are really disgusting. What has happened to him inside of those facilities is absolutely repulsive. Like what? It's Tell not me my it's not my story to share, but that's something that his story to share, and it's just disgusting uh, the way human beings get treated. Yeah. So I know that you received some criticism along the way that you were enabling your brother. Okay. What What do you say to that? I think that um, there came a thin line between una- enabling and showing unconditional love and understanding. And it, it was a thin line that had to get crossed to bring light into somebody's life. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, it's, I'm going to choose my brother's side over just about anybody's opinion online and I'll delete the comments. They don't really affect me. Um, I think the way that when I've observed from your like TikTok videos and from the documentary, you were so non-judgmental towards your brother. Like you didn't get angry with him. Like so, sometimes I think loved ones were so vested in this person, right? And we just want them to see our way or to do things our way. And that leads to frustration. And I watched you and I was like, wow, she's so calm and cool. I mean, there was one scene where you want him to come with you because you couldn't find him and you found him and he comes up to the car and he won't get in the car. He won't go with you. But I just thought the way you handled that, like you didn't start yelling at him. 
Yeah. I, like I said, I do like a lot of meditating. I do a lot of journey. Like I do, I have done a lot of self work and like self knowledge where I was really, especially during those moments, like I understood them, like it was very important for me not to look at him in un- any other way has just been one thing did happen so one time we were driving we, we were driving around one day in vermont and i think we might have been coming back from an aa meeting and on our way back we stopped into town and we were just sitting in the car laughing and i was drinking some apple juice and i started choking on the apple juice and while i was choking on this apple juice i passed out my head hit the steering wheel and my foot slammed on the gas I was in park, but like I, I passed, passed out. And Ian, I, I woke up like, and it's Ian patting my chest, being like, you're good, you're good, you're good. And I remember looking over at him and I had no idea who this person was. Like I was looking and like, all I saw was just like this per. he had like a blue light almost around him. Like I just saw this person looking at me, telling me I'm good and me shaking like crazy. I thought I was at like a music festival in a parking lot and I thought I did too many like drugs and I thought I passed out in a car and that was a stranger walking by. Like that's where my mind brought me and I did not know who it was, but then I was just like, I felt really safe. That was a a mile, that was a milestone in our relationship there where like I was like, like, cause I didn't look at him and see my brother. I looked at him and saw somebody I didn't know or, and I've never met before. And I really only interpreted the way they made me feel. And I think that happened on like day five of us together. And after that happened, I was like, okay, that was crazy. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just souls and like, we're just things in this world. And there's no, and I, it just made it a lot easier to look at him like that instead of like everything we've gone through. Yeah. It, you, you saw him in a different light in that moment. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And, and, and literally. literally. <laughs> um, and so I, I often hear that the solution to addiction is connection. And I think it is a beautiful connection that you have with your brother, actually, that probably helped save his life. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And do you feel that connection with him in that way? Yeah, I do. And so what do you hope to get out of putting it out there on TikTok, of doing the documentary and and these things? You mentioned, I think before we started talking, you told me that the documentary had like a half a million views in France. Yeah, yeah, it's half a million views in France. It's doing very well there. What kind of response have you received? Um, A lot of people reaching out saying that I've done amazing. Like, uh, it's all in French. It's like très bon femme. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't um, speak French, but I take it. I know that's good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with like unconditional love and people, people coming out about their stories with addiction or about America with the opioid crisis and things like that. My, my goal of getting this out there is as somebody who my whole high school life and my whole college life and my young adulthood, my brother was a heroin addict, an IV user, needle in the neck type of heroin addict. And I never knew anybody else who had the same story as me. You know, it wasn't something that was really talked about. It was like a few of my friends knew, but they like, you know, no one really ever understood that. Like, no, like I have to get, this is, you know, you walk in and you see this, this is, this is a different site that you have to come in and see every day. You know, you have to walk in 
on your brother passing out every day after school, or you have to walk in on your brother being missing for weeks at a time while during your finals or during your midterms, or you have to walk in and getting phone calls in the middle of the night, say, like from your brother who's nowhere, like slurring, not talking right, like saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And, you know, with that going on for years, that's just not like a one-time thing. That's something that happened my whole freshman year, my whole junior year, my whole sophomore year, my whole senior year. And my brother, like I love, as you could tell from the documentary, like I, I, I love my brother. Yeah. I love him so much. And to, to do that and just to have that feeling the entire way through of the person you love the most that you can't help and no one gets it. And I wanted people who have a similar story as me to be able to be like, oh, I can relate to her. This does suck and it's not fair, but it's okay to come out and talk about it. And it's okay to have emotions about it. And that was like, and it's okay to heal from it, which was hard to do, you know, because there, there was, I'm not an angry person, but there was definitely past feelings I had towards my brother. Like I could have lashed out or I could have been aggressive or I could have yelled easily. But to to release all of that baggage and to look at it from a biological perspective and to understand the economy and the financial means behind it and to put some more education in yourself to understand like, oh, they used my brother as a guinea pig and they're making millions off of his addiction. You know, on this level, they're making millions and then again on this level. And then, you know, they're just feeding into that in all different types of ways. And then being able to understand that and then healing a relationship was, that's why I shared it. Because I don't, I don't know, I don't know anybody else. It's embarrassing in a way. It's, nobody yeah, else there, wants to talk about it. There's so much stigma, you know, surrounding addiction. And even though we now know it's hereditary 30 to 60% of the time, we know prescribed opioids are highly addictive. I mean, we understand it's a disease of the brain, but yet that stigma remains, and I feel so bad for everything that your brother has been through. Actually, if you think about him with a traumatic brain injury yeah. at such a young age, and then his life going down this path, and he's 28 years old now, and that's really all he's known since 16. Yeah. I mean, it's awful, but it's incredible that he has you to stand by him and to be there for him unconditionally. And I think oftentimes siblings are embarrassed I mean, I know you mentioned some of your own struggles, but they they're, that's different. And you probably hid some of that, I would think. And so yeah, at the no same time, <laughs> yeah, at the same time, while you're doing that, you know, you're excelling, you're going to school, you're getting a job. And here's your brother over here doing none of those things. Yeah, it sucks. And I just think that a lot of siblings struggle when they have someone in the family who, who does have substance use disorder and they don't know what to do. And a lot of times there's not much they can do if their sibling isn't willing to let them. Yeah. So what's next for you and your brother on this journey? Well, so August 21st is Fentanyl Awareness Day. Mm -hmm. So here in Somerville, New Jersey, there is going to be an event going on downtown where we're going to put up the pictures of loved ones who and family members are going to come and we're all going to gather together, have some live music, have some Narcan classes and interact with everybody. And there's going to be a few speeches. So we're working with Not An Easy Fix, which is um, his best friend and him found it when they were a bit younger and his best friend passed away. So we're putting together that event. And yeah. Um, tell me where you came up with the name for your 
website and your TikTok handle. And why did you call it that? So I could give full credit to the name from my father who came up with For the Younger Me. Uh, we were actually walking down Vermont and I was talking about what I wanted to do with Vermont. And we were standing by the stream and he was like, well, what's the what's your goal of being here right now? And this was when I was in Vermont alone. And I was just like, well, I want to help the younger the younger me go through everything she's gone through. Like I want to I want to help the younger generation evolve quicker than I've evolved because being off of medication and being completely sober is such an amazing feeling. Like it really is understanding your brain and being able to calm it down and come from like a, a place of control and understanding and controlling your thoughts too. It takes a lot of time, but once you get it, it's beautiful. And like, you could really look at life so differently and I wish, and so that would be, so my whole goal was just helping the younger me while I was there. And then my brother came along and it was still like, the mission was still, what am I doing right now to help the younger generation? Like I would still want to help the younger me. I would still want to help my brother overcome the world's biggest demon. Yeah. And he was like, well, you should name it for the younger me. And I was like, that's a good name. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And you've, you've, you've managed to do that, right? Heal your younger self. And heal your brother in many ways. Yeah. And hopefully heal the, I've had a lot of people reach out saying that they're helping their siblings right now go through addiction or go through alcoholism and they're mending their relationships and it's giving them all hope. I've had a lot of DMs about this really, or people looking at my brother and I and be like, this reminds me of like me and my son, or this reminds me of me and somebody who passed away. And it's like, people could really relate to us and different phases of react like and just they relate to us and I think it's healing especially because so many people passed away this year from heroin and fentanyl yeah. overdoses are at record highs again again as we speak so thank you for sharing your story and your brother's story and for everything that you're doing yeah thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Grieving Out Loud, a mother coping with loss in the opioid epidemic. We cover all topics involving addiction, overdose, and grief. If you like what you're hearing, please consider giving us a positive review. You can also learn more about our charity, Emily's Hope, and read my blogs on our website, emilyshope.foundation. Until next time, I'm Angela Kennecke, wishing you faith, hope, and courage.